Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. We're going to take a, a slight break from our our series through the end of Galatians. Um, we'll touch on it a little bit today, but we're going to do something a little bit different. Um, this morning I want to talk a little bit about worship. Um, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we had a um, incident where our very own Pastor Kevin introduced himself as the youth pastor, or the worship pastor instead of the youth pastor. Anybody remember that? Um, and then he said, no, I'm not the worship pastor. And then I got up and I said, I'm also not the worship pastor. And eventually Jim said, I'm also not the worship pastor. Uh, the truth is we don't have a worship pastor at our church. Um, we have three of them. Uh, and I want us to talk this morning about, about what that means. I want us to talk about what worship is because um, I believe that we have a, a fairly flawed idea of what worship actually is. Um, I think we have, we have parts of it right, but I think we're missing parts of it as well. And so I want us to talk about about that because I believe that, that this, the way that we think about worship actually impacts the way that we, the way that we are in our world, the way that we interact uh, with those around us, the way that we interact with, with the things around us, the way that we understand who we are um, just in our day-to-day lives. And the reality is that, that we, uh, we often think about worship uh, in the realm of what we've just been doing, right? Uh, this singing, uh, singing these wonderful songs together, um, proclaiming to the Lord how great thou art. Like, that, that's worship, right? Anybody disagree with that? Okay, good. Uh, we're at least got a good starting point. We think of, and we think of that as worship. We think of songs. We call this time here our worship service. Um, but oftentimes what happens is we begin to think about uh, the the singing portion of the, of the service as the time of worship. And now this part that we're doing is, is the other part, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Um, and, and we've talked about this before, that, that the, everything we do here, whether it's giving our offerings or whether it's opening the Word together, this, this is the idea of worship. And we've talked about that before. And you you're probably have heard before that it's possible even maybe to worship outside of, of this hour. Have anybody heard that one before? Yeah, um, and so, and, but, but what we think about when we think about this idea of worshiping outside of Sunday mornings, uh, the things that come to mind are generally things like uh, maybe, you're, maybe you're singing songs in your car. That's worship too, right? Or maybe it's, maybe it's this idea of, of appreciating God's beauty, right? And so whether it's uh, appreciating a sunset or some of you worship on Sunday mornings occasionally at the golf course, or, you know, you're appreciating, you're appreciating God's beauty and the, and the beauty of God's creation. Um, and, and we kind of, we, we move to that, that realm of things. So that when we're, when we're out and we're, we're recognizing God's hand in creation, this, this can also be worship. Um, what I want us to ask the question, I want us to think about, is it possible to worship God while buying groceries? Uh, is it possible to worship God 
while watching the Seahawks. <laughs> Even if they're losing, I don't know about that. Um, is it possible to worship God while sitting in algebra class? Is it possible to worship God uh, while browsing Facebook? I want us to think about... Did I get a no? <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I want us to think about uh, this, this idea of worship, worshiping God wherever we find ourselves. And that the, what, I, what I contend and what we'll talk about this morning is that it's possible to worship God even without consciously thinking, I'm worshiping God right now. And I think, I think we limit our idea of worship to, to the realm where, we're, where we somehow have an experience or have a moment in which we're, cons- we're consciously uh, connecting, connecting to God. We're con- consciously thinking about him or appreciating something that he's done or, or somewhere along those lines. And I think it's possible that we can worship without even realizing that we're doing it. And this is what I want us to talk about this morning. And I want us, as we do this, I think what we'll, what we'll hopefully do is we'll take this pretty, pretty familiar word that sometimes loses its meaning because it's so familiar, and hopefully we'll make it meaningful once again and give it, give it some meaning. So I encourage you, I invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm chapter 96. Start there. The word worship, um, and I'm sure I'll probably get blasted by my uh, brother for this later, but that's all right. He's a doctor of English. But I, uh, the word, uh, the word worship comes from from two words put together: worship. This idea of of ascribing worth to something. And so maybe if you if you're uh, watch old BBC movies or, or TV shows or, you know, old, old English where, where they call somebody uh, your worship, right? This was, this was a, a term that you would use for maybe uh, somebody with, with high standing. You would call someone your worship, your grace, you know, those sorts of things. Uh, this idea of, of somebody who is worthy of honor, worthy of something. And so really the idea behind worship is just to recognize the place that something has in relation to you. And so you would, you would worship something uh, if, if, it's, if it's greater. If it's, if it's worthy of respect, if it's worthy of honor, this then would be this idea of where worship comes from. And so in Psalm chapter 96, and we read Psalm 95 earlier, Psalm chapter 96, we're told, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. 
The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in faithfulness. So we have the psalmist writing here, and he says there in verse 7, Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord the glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. And this idea that the psalmist is calling us to is to, to offer the Lord what he is worth. And to understand who we are in relationship to, to God. And then to respond accordingly. To ascribe to the Lord glory because, because he is worthy of glory. He compares it in, in verse 5. He says, For all of the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. And so he gives this comparison. These other gods are not worthy of worship because they're just idols. They're things that are made by hands. But the Lord has created all things, and so he is worthy of worship. Uh, So we are to ascribe to the Lord these things. And, and so what I want us to think about then is this understanding that if we are, give, if we are understanding ourselves in, in proper relationship to God, then this is worship. Even if we're not necessarily thinking about that, if we are living in proper relationship to God, this is worship. If we're living in proper relationship to the things that God has made, this is worship. In other words, if we're not worshiping the things that he's made, but we're understanding those things as his creation, this is worship. Um, this is, this, we get this picture in, there, there are two examples of, of worship, uh, there are multiple, but, but two examples in Isaiah chapter 6 and Revelation chapter 4. There are these pictures of, of God's throne and worshiping, worship happening before God's throne. And in these, in these passages, the, there's this proclamation, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And these angels and these creatures that are worshiping in these passages are, are proclaiming and they're understanding that, that the Lord is separate, that the Lord is holy, and that the earth has been filled with the glory of God. This understanding of not only who God is, but what the rest of creation is in relationship to God. Uh, Turn now to Exodus chapter 20. In Exodus Exodus chapter 20, uh, we have what what is um, commonly known as the Ten Commandments. Uh, The people of Israel have come out of Egypt... God has led them into the wilderness through the Red Sea. They've gathered at Mount Sinai, and God begins to speak. Uh, chapter, chapter 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. 
You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I am the Lord your God. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children of the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation to those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. I want us to focus on that verse there, verse 7. Um, those of you that, that memorize this in a different translation, what is this, what's this commandment say? Yeah, take, take not my name in vain. Or do, do not take the name of the Lord in vain. How many of you have heard this one before? Good, hopefully most of you. It's um, one of the ten, right? Um, so this, this is a, a, a commandment that's very familiar. And what we often think of when we think of this verse is this. Uh, don't curse, right? Don't, don't use the name of God flippantly. And so the Hebrews understood this, and they, they took this to the point that we need to be careful about how we say the name of God, and specifically the name, um, which is just the letters YHWH. In Hebrew, it's obviously not those letters because they didn't have English. But uh, YHWH, which we pronounce Yahweh, uh, we don't actually know how that name was pronounced because they, it was never spoken. And so the, the, the vowels that we have are actually the vowels for the word Adonai, which also means Lord, that gets substituted in um, for Yahweh. Because they, they, they didn't want to misuse the name of the Lord. And so they wouldn't speak this name. Um, and and there's, there's all sorts of traditions about how, when they were copying Scripture, um, that when they any time they came to the name of Yahweh of the Lord, they would have to stop what they're doing and go through all these washings, and um, and then they could write the name and continue on, and all sorts of things about being careful about how they use the name of the Lord. And when we think of this today, we we maybe don't go to that extreme, but but we do. What the way we interpret this passage is is don't say the name God as a curse or as as an exclamation, um, uh, some sort of flippant use of God, which, which is part of what's being spoken about here, but, but it's deeper. And this idea of don't take the name of the Lord in vain actually carries this idea of, take, carries this idea of, of lifting up or sometimes uh, the idea of carrying or bearing something. So, so what really the passage is saying is don't carry the name of God in vain. Or don't carry the name of God falsely. And the people of Israel were meant to be people who carried God's name. And they were meant to be representatives of God into the land that God was taking them. So that when the people of Israel saw, or when the nations around the people of Israel saw Israel, they were supposed to get a picture of what God was like. And they're supposed to know God through uh, the way that they saw the people of Israel. Now, if you know the Old Testament, you know that this didn't happen very often. But that this was God's plan. And so when he says to them, don't carry my name falsely, 
Don't carry the name of the Lord falsely. What he's saying is, don't misrepresent who I am. And specifically, as you, as you bring my name to people, don't give them a false picture of who I am. And I believe that this, um, I believe that this is the opposite of worship. When we carry God's name falsely, uh, it's the opposite of worship. It's, it's interacting with God and it's interacting with our world in, in a false way, in a misrepresentative way of who God actually is and what God is actually meant to be doing. And so we would call this, we would call this sin. So the opposite of sin is worship. And so if the opposite of sin is worship, then any time we are not sinning, we are worshiping. Conversely, any time we are not worshiping, we are sinning. And I want us to think about this as we think about, are we carrying God's name well? The psalmist said in chapter 96, Proclaim among the nations, the Lord reigns. Proclaim God's reign and his, his rulership uh, in all of creation. This is what the psalmist calls us to. To proclaim God's rulership over all things. That God reigns. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul gives a picture of this. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians... Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Uh, in other words, uh, Paul is calling us to recognize who Christ is and what Christ has done through the cross. And what he says is that in the cross, Christ has become supreme over all things, that in him all things hold together. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. All things have been created through him and for him. And he's calling us to recognize this idea that God is God, that Christ is God, and we, I, and you are not. Um, maybe this seems a little straightforward, but, but when we recognize this and we live in such a way that we recognize that God is before all things, that God is in control, that God is working, and that it's not up to us to be in control, it's not up to us to, to be manipulating, but that we can rest and trust. This is the idea of faith, right? 
that we put our trust and our faith in God as God, and that we and you and these things around us are not God, and that we can live in such a posture that these things are true. Uh, to worship, then, is to, to, to understand this proper ordering of our relationships. Uh, who is God? Who are we in relationship to God? And who or what is God's creation? Who or what is God's world in relationship to him? And this leads us towards, towards really towards mission. What is God doing in his world? What is God desiring to do in his world? And we talk about this idea of God in... So who is God? God is creator. God is redeemer. We, we've sung about this. And this is, this is often where our worship takes us. When we think about worship as far as singing on Sunday mornings or, or worship as far as appreciating God's, uh, God's creation or appreciating beauty. This, this is what we think of often when we think about worship. Who is God? And we sing songs and we proclaim that God is our creator, God is our redeemer, that God has done this in our world. And sometimes we, we move it to this second step of, of who, who are we in relationship to God. And so we sing songs about how God has redeemed us. And we begin to understand that, that, that we are children of God. And that he's given us a name and he's given us an identity as his children. And so when we begin to recognize this, that we begin to live in such a way that we are his children, this too is worship. But then also, who, what is God's world in relationship to him? What is God desiring for those outside of us, those who are not me? What is God desiring for you? And to, and to understand who you are in relationship to God. To understand who um, our world is, who those outside of the, the church are in relationship to God. And to live understanding how God sees these people, the relationship, the love that God has for people outside of the church. Uh, this too is worship. And that when we, when we recognize this and we begin to move towards other people as God's creation, as, as people who have been created in God's image, as people who are loved by God, this then becomes worship. Our youth were just this weekend uh, learning about what it means to share the gospel, to share this good news uh, with the people around them. This was worship. Even when you weren't uh, in your times of singing uh, and praising, when you're going out into your community and sharing the gospel with the people that you met at the mall, uh, even if they didn't want to hear it, this was worship. Uh, when we... So, so let's talk about this. Let's, let's get even more practical. I talked about Seahawks, right? Um, how do we worship when we watch the Seahawks. Uh, I think it starts with maybe recognizing that the people who are playing this sport, 
whether they're on our team or not on our team, are still people created in God's image. Uh, that no matter what they might say after the game that gets talked about for weeks, it seems like, even though it's only been a week, but uh, that this is still a person created in God's image. That even though they might play for a team from San Francisco that we don't necessarily like, uh, they're still individuals created in God's image, loved by God. Um, and sometimes what happens when we watch sports or when we engage in political conversations or when we um, interact with um, people we might call enemies or people we don't get along with, uh, it's very easy to forget that the people we're talking about or talking to are people loved by God, created in his image. And we can, uh, we can say things as Christians, say things about individuals that very much are not worshipful, that very much are not recognizing the way uh, that God sees these people and recognizing the way that we are meant to be and the way that God is in relationship to them. And we place ourselves in a position of animosity or anger or even hatred towards a certain person or a certain group of people. Um, And if it's not worship, what is it? Sin. But this is not the way that God desires us as Christians, as people who carry his name to interact with our world. And we may say, yeah, but, but these people, are, um, these people are, are just bad people. And they're making decisions or they're doing things or they're, or they're playing for a team or they're, you know, whatever, whatever realm it is, um, we, we can hold these people... Um, as, as enemies, or we can speak about these people uh, with some pretty nasty language. And this is, not, this is not worship. This is not what it means to carry God's name well. And what I want, us, what I want to invite us to do is to, to recognize that, that God is not just interested in what we do here on Sunday morning. And that God is not just interested in, in us uh, being able to appreciate his beauty uh, in creation, but, but God is interested in us being able to worship him in every moment of our lives. And that to do that, we need to, in every moment of our lives, live in such a way that we are properly ordered to him properly understanding who we are, but also properly understanding who these people around us really are. And that it's possible, it's possible to worship God while browsing Facebook. Sorry. Um, if, if, we, if we're, the, the way that we interact with the people online, and it's so much easier uh, to, to be mean and nasty on the internet, isn't it? Because because there's, no, there's less consequences, at least. But if we are interacting with, 
people in a way that recognizes who they are, recognizing who the person we're talking to is, but also the people we're talking about are, uh, then, then we're worshiping. But if we're not, and if we're, if we're abusing or mistreating or, or speaking poorly and, and just uh, speaking evilly about other people, then it's not worship and it's sin. And I want us to invite, I want to invite you to recognize that when you're in class, if, if you're interacting with your professors and your teachers or you're interacting with your, your classmates in a way that recognizes who they are in relationship to God and, and recognizing God's love for them, even if you disagree with them, then this is worship. Uh, but if you're not and you're, and you're uh, talking about them, you're gossiping about them, uh, then this is not, this is not worship. Um, I said we would get to Galatians chapter five, and we will. Let's let's turn there. Uh, as I have as I have thought about this idea of what worship really is, um, and this idea of ascribing words to God and understanding who we are in these relationships, I think this is this has helped me as I wrestle with the tension that we've talked about the last couple of weeks here in Galatians chapter five. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And then jumping down to verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring one another, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. And we talked about this, Pastor Jim has talked about this the last couple weeks. First of all, this idea that you have been set free. Do not submit then to a yoke of slavery. That we have been set free from sin and that we are free from any sort of law that says, here's what you need to do. Here's how you have to live. If you want to be a Christian, then you have to do X, Y, and Z, and that's what makes you a Christian. We talked about this idea that it's, it's faith alone in Jesus Christ. And yet, and then in verse 13, Paul has said, uh, you've been called to be free, uh, but don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. And we talked about this idea that this word serve is actually make yourself a slave to one another in love. And, and we wrestle with this tension of what does it mean that, that God has said, has just, Paul has just said, you are free, you have, been, you have been set free, don't submit to any yoke of slavery. And then in the next, in the next few paragraphs he says, uh, you are free, now make yourself slaves to one another. And we, and we, what is it? Okay, so which one is it, Paul? You know, what are we, what are we supposed to do? Uh, this understanding of worship, I think, uh, dissolves some of this tension for me. Because if, if what we understand uh, as, as worship is understanding God's love for us, uh, loving God, but then also understanding God's love for those around us, then it's not so much to expect that we would love and serve 
those around us. It's not so much to expect that we would be able to to receive the love of, of God so humbly and graciously that we could then humbly serve those around us. Because we understand who these people are and who God has made them to be. And we understand who we are and, and how, uh, how important we are to God and yet how, um, how little importance we actually have. How, you know, we, we don't think too highly of ourselves, but we're able to serve. And so when Paul can, say, Paul can say, you've been set free from sin, you've been set free from any sort of thing that says, here's how you have to live. And yet to understand and to live in relationship to God and to worship him, how could we not serve one another? How could we not serve the people that he loves and has created? And for me, and I don't know, maybe this is just, this is just me talking up here, but to, to me this, this makes this passage come alive in a new way. And it makes this passage come, uh, come with a lot more uh, meaning and it, it dissolves some of that tension. But of course we've been set free and we've been set free to love. We've been set free to serve because we're not bound to worshiping other idols. We're not bound to worshiping other things. Uh, we understand that, that the thing that is worthy of our love and the thing that is worthy of our worship is God, but that God has also declared these people are worthy of your love as well. And they're worthy that you serve them. That in serving them, you're actually serving God. This is what John says in 1 John. That if you, if you love your brother, you're actually loving God because you recognize who God has made them to be. So, as we close here, uh, I, want to, I want to invite you to think of a realm in your life where maybe you think, I, I don't know about worship there, you know, maybe, and maybe this is before our, our discussion today, but to think about places in your life where you would have never thought, oh, I can definitely worship there. Well, I, I definitely worship in this place. And I want you to, to think about the people that you interact with in that place, the people you know in that place, and, and to begin to think, what does it mean for me to order my relationship to God in such a way that when I'm in that place, it's worship. When I'm in that place, it's worship. Because, because the reality is, wherever we find ourselves, whether we're aware of it or not, we, we can be worshiping. We can be worshiping when we understand who God is, who God has declared us to be, and who those around us are as well. Let's pray. God, we, uh, we love you because you first loved us. And we praise you this morning because of that love, because of your grace that you have shown to us. We ask for uh, direction. We ask for uh, wisdom as we depart from here and we go about our day-to-day lives that sometimes seem like you're not in them. Sometimes we, um, 
are very unaware of your presence and yet you are there. The earth is the Lord's and the earth is full of your glory. So we pray that we may may worship you with our lives. We may worship you uh, in our daily conversations. We pray that we may worship you um, in our families, uh, in our jobs, in our schools. That we may know uh, who you are and who you have created us to be. Pray this in your name. Amen. Here, um, it's my prayer that uh, the Lord may be glorified in your life. Uh, he may be glorified in our church, uh, in your hearts. Uh, may you worship the Lord wherever you go this week. Go in peace.